Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of uh, MGR Unplugged, uh, recording on Thursday. What's today? It's the uh, September 26th of September, just to give a little context, because we know this podcast At could be... 1.30 p.m. Okay, David, exactly. how have you been introduced you yet? You're already talking. I'm, just a, I'm a ghost talking. Okay, ghost talker. Um, anyway, so it's September 26th, 2019. 2000? 2019. It's a little far away. We're discussing a little bit of the future today, so that's... uh, that's I can't predict that far ahead. You can make predictions about the future. I think that's 10,000 years. Isn't civilization only like 10,000 years old? I don't know. We're going to discuss it. I think you you just uh, had some kind of crystal ball or something that gave you some information. Anyways, welcome to the show. Um, As you can tell, we don't really have a marketing topic in mind today, even though it could be applied to marketing as well. But I actually wanted to talk to David or with David and basically share the podcast with a few ideas based on a few books that we've read over the the summer months. Um, We always like to share the books that we read, and I actually have read quite a few actually over the summer um, between books and audiobooks. And I think I probably had like... seven or eight books I can think of since in the last two, three months. So that's pretty good considering that I also read a lot of articles and blogs and things like that. So uh, David has read a lot too, I think. Well, at least he, he fixed it very well with his Kindle walking around all day. Uh, but before we get to that, David, I know that we last week we announced um, our newest podcast in the family of our MGR Edge. And this one is called the uh, e-commerce edge, which just went live, I believe, yesterday. Is that yeah, it? it's every Tuesday. It goes live. Uh, the first episode was on Tuesday. Um, yeah, we talked about, or I talked about. So just to uh, refresh our memory, that one is more, obviously, it's e-commerce. Yes, and the e-commerce uh, edge just gives you uh, the edge in e-commerce. It's going to be, it's a mix of just news and happenings for the week to keep you up to date and everything. E-commerce, Amazon, Shopify, everything like that. Um, and then a mix of like insight, <clears throat> insights and tactics and marketing strategies. And basically the, the idea is that, you know, we deal with e-commerce day in and day out. And it's just kind of a mix of things we learn and pick up every single week, as well as things that are going on in the general space. So right. if you're so, in e-com, I would recommend. Yeah, give it definitely. A shot. I, I actually listened to it yesterday. Um, and, um, uh, I mean, you and I talk all the time, but there are some interesting pointers out there as far as it's it's so hard to keep up with everything these days as far as it is. That's uh, why it's funny because we have our e-commerce newsletter as well. And the whole reason I made that newsletter was because I was looking for a easy source news. I like newsletters because it comes in my inbox. There's websites that you can get for news, but I like to just get a little quick summary. You mm -hmm. know, I don't want to have to read individual articles and it really didn't exist especially for the amazon side of things i mean there's some but there wasn't anything that i was looking for and i said okay well why don't i make it i'm sure people right. will like and it and again because it's so easy to read or to listen to you can uh with the show notes and all that stuff you can just jump ahead to the section that uh you are interested in and then is there something that you already know there's no need to spend your time i mean we do this obviously as a service it's not that we have sponsors or we we pay for it ourselves so we we do it as a service to our clients and that we just want to make sure that um it, it actually makes our life easier too because we it can discuss things with clients at the same level because it it helps me when you know a lot of times you have ideas it's the same i hear this a lot with people who write a lot and they say a lot of times you have ideas but you nece- can't necessarily articulate them until you mm-hmm. sit down and write. And the same thing with a podcast. For me, to I have lots of ideas and I learn lots of things. 
but then it, I have to kind of articulate them into a podcast and explain it. And so it actually helps me be better at marketing just by doing the podcast. Right, right. All right, so uh, it's already live and available on all major podcast platforms. Yep. Uh, we Apple will podcasts, put links. Spotify. Um, if you follow us on Instagram, you will find links over there to directly to Spotify. And then obviously if you go to um, mgredge.com, which is our official podcast uh, platform, or website, you will find all, all links to all the shows, all the podcasts, which we have three now, MGR Edge, uh, the MGR Unplugged, which is this one, and then obviously the new one. All the episodes will be listed there, so you subscribe and you give us a review, that will be fantastic. Oh yeah, please leave a review, because you know we have a bunch of reviews in the other ones, but this new one doesn't have reviews yet, so that helps us out. We it definitely helps with the rankings it. a little bit. It's kind of silly how Apple works the review system, but you know that's the system they have, so. All right, guys, so now um, today we actually want to discuss something that is not related to marketing. It's more of a lifestyle podcast, which is part of the reason why we have this MGR Unplugged, is, is to discuss any topic that we want a little more in-depth. And uh, uh, in this case, um, David and I actually discussed quite a bit um, life quality and longevity and things like that and, and healthy living, and you know we're both pretty healthy as far as diet, exercise, and so forth in different styles. I'm, I'm obviously, uh, uh, you know, he has a different methodology for his lifestyle and diet and everything. I have obviously a more of an old style version, but uh, uh, we're both concerned about that stuff and we read books about it and we comment about it and we leave it every day. So I just thought that it would be nice to uh, have a podcast that we kind of share of ideas. And well, I uh, we were talking a little bit before and we cut it off, save it for the podcast, but... Uh, I was telling you because you know I th we th I think longevity is a big topic these days. Everybody's very mm -hmm. interested in it, and I was telling you I said my biggest biggest fear is basically dying, and then very shortly after they kind of uh, the the cure for aging or at least massively increasing lifespans is found. That's my biggest fear. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, we're I think we're close. Where things are growing so much or or progressing so much in the field of medicine and studies and, and uh, biology and everything else that what used to be that, you know, it looks like an incurable disease or whatever you had. Now, we're finding more and more cures or solutions to things. I mean, there's lots of vaccinations and things that are now a thing of the past. And, uh, and obviously, at the same time, new things are coming up. But uh, when it comes to... Um, uh, longevity or, or increasing your lifespan or actually your health span because we're talking about living longer with a good quality of living not that you are a vegetable in a wheelchair or something I mean, we're talking about people living longer you know just uh, with with a healthy lifestyle is something that like you said I mean you can google that or look at articles or whatever and it's it's pretty much everywhere these days and, and there's a lot of um, articles and things that are just kind of just headlines that everybody likes to uh, read but um there's a lot of stuff going on there. So we're going to try to digest a little bit of some ideas. And then obviously the second part of the podcast will be a little more on the consequences of increasing our lifespan if we were to live, you know, 20, 30, 40 years longer than the current lifespan and what will be the consequences for, for our society, for everything in general. So uh, this is a little bit of brainstorming. I mean, we, we talk about things, but I would just share the thoughts. So, But the main thing first is that um, one of the pieces of data that actually was... Uh, kind of I read in different sources uh, and it's pretty incredible is the fact that the life expectancy um, increases by an average of three months 
with every passing year. Meaning that if a person is born today, he has a certain life expectancy. Let's say that in the U.S. is close to 79, 80 years old for a male. So every four years, you're expected to live one year longer. Exactly. So you have a brother or a sister that is born a year later. On average, that person, all things being equal, will live basically three more three more months than you. Or you have a sibling that is four years younger, then you can expect that person to maybe die a year earlier than you. And that's pretty incredible, just as it is. I mean, when you do look at the numbers, and this actually relates to most of the countries, civilized countries. Sweden is one of the ones that is the most advanced in this uh, kind of study, but um, it really applies to... But that more applies... It depends a lot on the context where you're born, too. Well, yeah, obviously. That's what I'm trying to... if you're born in, you know, the undeveloped world, it's well, a way yeah, different. That's why I said civilized or developed countries where most of the... Uh, uh, infant diseases and things like that are already eradicated, and now we're just talking about a normal lifestyle with you don't have a an odd you know disease or or a situation like that. So I, I wish there were more. I mean, these studies are really hard to do because obviously it takes a long time to figure these things out. But I wish there were more studies because in the U.S., uh, the average lifespan is. Uh, as far as more most recently i mean maybe i'm sure the numbers are changing but it's right about 79 80 i think it's a little more for women versus men but call it 80 is about average uh but that's just all americans mm -hmm. i wonder okay but obviously you know we have quite the obesity epidemic in america and we have even just like people with genetic diseases that are out of their control. I wonder what it is. What's the lifespan of someone who doesn't ha was lucky enough not to be born with some type of terrible genetic disease and then is able to stay in shape, eat a healthy diet, live a good life, never is obese, all of those things. What's the average lifespan for that person? Because I bet you it's longer than 80. I don't know what the answer is. Well, those are probably the studies that they're doing. I mean, they, they do have uh, some groups where they do some research, and we'll get into that a little more uh, a little later in the podcast, but they, they do have groups that have a specific diet or, or life you know, style or something, and then uh, they can tell, obviously, whether they're biological age which is one thing that could be measured right um, versus your physical age or your chronological do you know how age. they measure that isn't that yeah it's a blood test basically what is it i've heard it was telomere lengths yeah or yeah exactly. things like well, that that's that's part of it that's more technical but basically starts with a blood test which is specific i mean a blood test is very generic but they they, they look for specific uh dna traits and genome um traits and stuff and then they can tell what is your biological age not only that they can actually tell where your life expectancy will be based on your biological age, which that's a comparison. <laughs> do we know if it's accurate though? It is. Because it's pretty recent that they've done this. So yes, how do they know? Well, they've, yeah. If you're um, 50 when you do it and they say, okay, you'll live to 85. Well, we don't know if they're accurate for another well, 35 they, years. Well, they don't tell you, uh, it's not like you turn 85, you die. You know, it's no, just basically I know, they say, uh, you know, it's like say, okay, based on your, on your biologic, biological age and what we're seeing now, you should be, it's not different than when you are diagnosed with a disease and they say, okay, you have six months left in your life or something. Right, okay. but in that case... It could be seven, it could be five, but they couldn't already tell how fast it's progressing and what time you have left. But in that case, you know whether you're right much quicker. Yes. In this case, if someone tells you when you're 50, okay, you're going to live to 80. Well, but that's as you of don't, now. You don't know for 30 years. Well, that, no, that it's a prediction. It's basically saying based on your current, let's say that I'm 
55 and they say your biological age is really let's just say optimistic 48 i say oh fantastic i have i'm younger in my cells than i am you know chronologically and they say based on this you're gonna die at 90 okay that's as of today if everything continues the same the projection is that I will die at 90. Now, if I change my lifestyle completely, one way or the other, if I start drinking, smoking, doing this and that, I say, okay, forget the 90. You're going to die in 20 years. Right. But, I'm just asking, how do they know that they're right? Well, that's the How do they know is, they're accurate? Because we don't know for a long time. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know how accurate it is, but uh, they can predict... Uh, it's fairly new, so obviously it's not like they say, oh, we told you we're going to do this, and then... Right, it's that's just, what I'm saying. Uh, no, but uh, uh, it's, it's almost like... I mean, this is a very, very basic analogy, but it's like you're going from Phoenix to San Diego, and they halfway through a trip, they say, "Oh, heck, how much are you? Uh, how far are you? Oh, I'm 200 miles in. And where, how much have you driven? Oh, I've driven already like three, yeah, four okay. hours." They say, "Okay, well, you can estimate to get there in another three hours." Okay, that's that's yeah, it. That, based what on what you have, okay. you know, that's what they're estimating. They're not telling you that it's accurate because obviously you have a deadline. You're like, "Oh, fuck, I have three years to live." You know? No, no, obviously. I, I mean, they're telling you. You're in good shape. And you know, it's, the doctor tells you that. Okay, keep doing what you're doing. You're going to, you know, you're doing a healthy lifestyle. Of course, tomorrow you get run over by a bus and you die. But that's different. You know, your biological age is young and you're doing what you can to live young. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So okay. so it's not um, it's not something super accurate. But anyways, there's, there's ways to, to dictate that. And then if you are interested, you can, we'll add some show notes at the end of the show to, to with some information. But yeah, you can get your biological age. One of the things you read, I haven't read the book yet, I will, but uh, David Sinclair's new book, that's one of the inspirations for this podcast. Uh, yeah, I've, I follow him for a while. I mean, his book is, um, uh, he's actually doing different tours. Some people may already know is, uh, I think the title is Why We Age or um, on Why We Don't Have To or something like that. Yeah. Um, I've, I've followed him for a while. He's a Harvard professor and he's been studying this forever. Um, I'm, I will mention some of his... Does he think that... Uh Within the next, like, does he, okay, my question is, okay, someone who's born now, right, like 2019, what's their life expectancy? Well, I don't know, I don't know those numbers. I mean, you're, I can't, I mean, is right it, now, as of today. Is it in the, like, do they expect them to easily live to 100? Well, the the prediction is by the end of the century, people, natural, nothing, nothing changing, just by the progression that we described before, about three months for every year. By the end of the century, by 2080 or so, life expectancy could easily be 100. That's overall. But when you do certain things with your life... By 20, what, the year 2100? 2080. That seems far. I think it could be sooner than that. Well, like I said, this is this is normal life expectancy without any um, progression in medicine or anything. Just considering the three months per year, that's what you can expect to be. But that doesn't that doesn't include any of the things that could be that are being discovered right now, like genetic engineering and uh, hacking cells and things like that. Right, like people die for a lot of reasons, but as far as age-related death besides accidents things like that uh most people don't actually die from old age they die from heart disease cancer well that's one of the things that's one of the things that is preventing more progress if you will on um aging research um aging is not considered a disease they're trying to change that. They're trying to change that. I know the, the FDA the, is... The reviewing. World Health Organization is trying to 
there's basically there's been different proposals to change and consider aging a disease and um, basically there's connotations of that but um a lot of the diseases that we, that people die of, like whether it be Alzheimer's or heart disease or cancer, obviously, a lot of those things increase exponentially when you turn 50 and after. Right. Which is the, it's not a consequence of being 50, it's the consequence of aging. So, Right. I think aging is a disease because what is aging really? It's our term for the degradation of your body exactly. it's a natural function but it really is it's like a a disease that you're born with exactly. that your ba- your body decays over time and right. i think it's something that we could slow or reverse potentially well that is that is the goal exactly that what you said is exactly the goal the goal is to slow the disease just as you try to to buy more time you know with any other disease that you have whether you have alzheimer's you go to a doctor this and then i mean there's tons of diseases out there that all you're trying to do is slow down the progression so you can have more lifespan. Aging is the same thing, it's that we're born with it. Everybody's born with this disease, which is hard to accept, and that's why part of the reason why it's not a disease. Um, there's some, um, you know, they say that a disease is, is considered a disease when um, it affects more than 50% of the population. Like 51% of the population is affected by this, and then um, they. Really? Yeah, there's some. What there's, about like extremely rare diseases? That's still a disease. No, like like I said, if if you are 51 percent, if more than 51 percent of the population is affected by something, it's not considered a disease. That's, oh, I thought you meant the reverse. Sorry. Okay, maybe, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So when when something is more than 51 percent in the case of aging, it affects 100 percent. Then it's a natural consequence. I mean, whether it's 49.9, then it considered a disease, and then pharmaceutical companies and everything can get into that classification, and that's basically the classification from the World Health Organization. I mean. I, I think it's close to 40% for cancer. I mean, it's almost basically half the population for cancer. Would they, if it were to go over 50, they say cancer is not a disease? That doesn't make sense. Yes. Well, I mean, that's another discussion because Especially a lot of people, if you live long enough. there's a lot of people that die with cancer and a lot of people that die off cancer. Right. So there's you, a difference. If you live long enough, if you live to 120, the odds of you getting cancer are significant. Well, and I would bet there's you, a lot of people that are pretty, pretty healthy that they have some cancer cells. In their body right, right, right. I mean, uh, cancer that requires treatment. That's what I mean. Right. Everybody has cancer cells, but in most cases, your immune system just kills them off. You're fine. I meant cancer to where the to the point where you develop tumors or a case where you need to be treated. That's what I mean. Right. But I mean, I think men. Isn't it something like half of men and one in three women? Something crazy like I, that. I don't have that data. I it's don't know. a massive amount of people get but cancer. The now, not but, all of it is. But getting deadly. back to the topic about you know aging being a disease or not is 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 incredible. How you know like one of the things that I it, it always kind of catches my my attention when I see is or when I read it is that they say okay well if you smoke you have ten more chances or possibility of, of getting cancer, lung cancer or something. Or you do this you have more chances of this or the cholesterol this and that. I then realize that with aging, when you get 50 plus, then your chances are like 50, 100% more just because of aging. Whereas if they consider aging a disease and you start treating that as a disease from the beginning, from early age, then you start preventing it. And then you prevent a lot of these diseases that will happen as a consequence of aging. And a lot of those things, like if you drink a lot, if you're a heavy drinker, heavy smoker, you're going to age faster. Mm-hmm. Well, right, yeah, because you are. We've all seen people who have been healthy their whole lives, and people who have been smoking a pack a day. And by the time they're fifty, they look like they're eighty. 
you know, I mean, it definitely, there's things that will increase aging a lot faster too. And I think, I think aging is a disease and I think that, but the problem is that it's a very broad range because aging affects everything in your body. So I don't know that there's like one treatment that would reverse no, it. No, it's not one treatment, but uh, there's a combination of treatments and, and things that you can do with your life to... The biggest is diet, To basically increase your lifespan. And there's, there's animals that live, reproduce themselves. There's animals that live... 100 years, 150 years, 250 years. Yeah, whales. Yeah. I mean, I know like turtles live a long time, but. Yeah, and and uh, whales live a long time, sharks live a long time. There's jellyfish that reproduce themselves and they live forever. <laughs> I mean, there's. Don't lobsters live a long time? I don't know about lobsters. Instead of people eat them all the time. But I thought lobsters live a long time. Basically, almost all lobsters die of getting killed, not of, not die of But there's been age. a lot of testing done with a few, uh, with a lot of different experiments, as you were saying, like one thing or another at the, at the cell level, at biological level with mice, for example. And you know, we, we share about 95% of our DNA with, with mice. And that's what makes it a little more accurate. Which is actually, it's a lot, but it's not that much either. Well, yeah. Because we, we share 90% with a lot of things. Yes, of course, of course. But anyways, um, you were talking about things that we can do to um, um, make ourselves be healthier or basically at the cellular level, not so much, um, you know, and I'm not talking anti-aging like, like any cosmetic stuff. Like, you know, there's people that are very healthy, but they still have wrinkles and, you know, they look later at their age and all that stuff. And this is not what this conversation is about. We're not talking about getting Botox or getting uh, any facial lifts or anything. I mean, you externally, you can look however you want uh, or whatever is externally affecting you. But if you do anti-aging non-cosmetic you'll still look better yeah you look better you you basically but it's more internally it's more your mind your, your mind feels your thinking your attitude your lifestyle is more of a person that is younger like you, you hear the the 50s and you 40 and blah 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 and all that stuff but it's really about a mindset it's not so much you can be all day in the sun and enjoying lifestyle and a uh, healthy lifestyle and being in the sun and running or doing this or that and get a lot of wrinkles and Whatever, you know, I mean, that's uh, cosmetically or, or even lose your hair or whatever. But uh, what I'm talking about is more how your mindset works when you age and you get older, but you still feel with the energy and the lifestyle that you had basically 10 years ago or 20 years ago and you don't feel like you're slowing down a whole lot. And, you know, that's because you still have the energy to do that. So... Uh, and, and I know you practice a few of these things and I have too, but, uh, you know, one of the things that is... I don't want to mention the word diet, but it's, it's been proven that calorie restriction is one of the things that um, um, increases our lifespan or, or, or contributes to improving your anti-aging at the cellular level. Yeah. And I know you know more about that stuff because you've been There's actually researching. Been studies that show not just you, but uh, I know there was a massive study in mice and there was also studies on um, people, there needs to be more studies on people, but basically there's kind of two parts of your genetics. One is the evolution, which takes millions of years, so nothing you're going to do is really going to affect evolution. But there is, I think they call it genetic memory or something like that, and it's basically people who lived their lives 
calor with caloric restriction actually passed down traits that gave their offspring better metabolisms. And this is in one generation. And it was definitely shown in mice that that mice who had caloric restriction, their offspring had better metabolisms. And that's pretty crazy. So not only are you being healthier yourself, your children will be healthier. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's kind of crazy to think about that you because we when you think of genetics you think of something it's out of your control but in some cases and for the most part it is but in some cases there is some genetic memory that is implanted in you and i don't know exactly how that works and i know that they're trying to do more studies on this obviously these studies take a long time to do too but yeah i mean diet is a big deal i mean you if you if you eat poorly, you're not going to be healthy. But, but it's not such a, so much about the quality of the food you eat, which obviously is important. But it's, it's also it's also it's the quantity, and uh, the uh, the um, calorie restriction diet is basically is based on uh, being hungry uh, most of the time. I mean, you restrict the amount of calories you eat before you feel full. Right. You want to feel hunger pains. You, you put you it. put your your body into a survival mode, which means that your own cells are trying to survive and they start um, addressing the bad cells. And another ex extreme case of this is the famous fasting or intermittent fasting, which some people do. I mean, some people do intermittent fasting, which could be, uh, what, 18-6 or something like that? Like, uh, it depends. The most common is probably 16-8. So you eat eight hours a day and fast 16. You can go more. There's more benefits to doing more. Right. Most people do the 16 because that's like I've done 16, 8 and typically I can go 14, 15 hours before I start feeling hungry. And then normally the last hour or two, I start getting like, OK, I could really eat now. Um, and then you just kind of it's about just willpower, really. To there's different. It. There's different. Um, some people even do a more radical one like it's every quarter, like they go out a whole week of fasting every quarter. Yeah, I've never done that. Yeah. Some people do like some people will do 24 hour fasts like two days a week. So mm -hmm. they just don't eat two days a week, but the other days they don't fast. There's different methods from what I've seen, like 18, six, 16, eight, things like that work pretty well, pretty well. Because, uh, I think after 16 hours you start, your body starts, uh, doing or going through the process of autophagy, which mm -hmm. is what you were saying, which is basically kind of the, the cleaning, of your cells, I don't know the exact science behind it, but it's it's basically killing off older cells. Uh, it's there's some signs that show autophagy and fasting can actually help people with cancer. It, it can get. I mean, I, uh, we can get more technical, but I don't want to make this like loosen the audience. If we have a lost by then, but but the the uh, right, but it, the it, it has to do it has to do with the fact that your your enzymes and we're talking sirtuins and on more complicated terms go into uh, you can call it survival mode that's why you know sometimes you see accidents and movies with this guy that was in a in a wreck in some kind of ship or something and survived like 15 days with no water this and that I mean you you survive I mean your body goes into survival mode you can go a long time without food yeah you can water go normally about a week right but food oh exactly. you can go a month without uh, yeah, food yeah and, and it goes back to our ancestors that were hunters and they were just basically before they became gatherers and and they were used to just hunting and sometimes they were no hunt anything and they had three, four, five days with no food, you know. So, but 
it has to do with your body function system or you know to, for lack of a more technical word and sirtuins and, and enzymes and all that stuff that go into a survival mode and you basically tell those enzymes to work on uh, adding nutrition to themselves in a way that um they have to even by killing the bad cells like you said the autophagy um without um you know without having the extra food that basically puts them to sleep because they said you say okay well i have enough nutrients and everything i don't have to worry about killing bad cells i have enough work to do now i'm being distracted so to speak in the at the biological level so i don't have to get into this survival mode anymore so uh but yeah intermittent fasting and uh uh uh, which is a, a form of calorie restriction is one of the ways that you can definitely make your body healthier. But I think if you're choosing between caloric restriction and like, okay, I'm not going to do a certain hours. Basically, most people, if you do intermittent fasting, it's actually not that hard because, you know, you go to bed, you stop eating at 8 o'clock at night, and then you skip breakfast and eat at noon. But that's not that hard. That's why it works for me. I mean, to me, that's definitely the easiest way to do it. Because uh, then that's basically 16 hours, 8 p.m. to 12 noon the next day. Um, if you do caloric restriction, it's better than nothing, but the, you don't get the autophagy if you're not doing fasting. Normally, it's after about 16 to 18 hours of not eating that you go through autophagy. So mm -hmm. even if you're like if two people both eat, let's just say the average diet is 2000 calories. So both people say, okay, I'm going to only eat 1800 calories a day. So a 200 calorie deficit, the person who does fasting and then eats 1800 calories versus the person who doesn't do fasting and basically just spreads it out more throughout the day, uh, is going to have less benefits. The person who doesn't do the fasting from what I've seen, I'm not a doctor, but I've, I've researched it a lot myself. And, uh, that seems to be the case. Both are good. It's better than, overeating obviously mm -hmm. but you get more benefits from the fasting right i mean the, the main point is that when you have this um lethargic or silenced genes um in that state all the time which is when you're eating overeating for that matter then you're not um inducing your body to regenerate itself whereas when you have those genes starving a little bit and we're talking about um enzymes and things up then you turn them on so they start doing a lot of house cleaning which is cleaning your body for that matter and then um they become more active and then they do the cleaning for you so that's the whole purpose of the calorie restriction or intermittent fasting or anything like that so you you get those enzymes and the protein stuff just kind of working harder on your body um there's obviously everybody knows that exercise is critical uh but it's not so much like there's this this uh, conception of having to exercise to lose weight, and I think that's not really the reason to exercise. I think if you're trying to, especially if you're starting to lose weight, it's actually better to not start exercising and just focus on diet first because it's known that you can't outrun your diet. That's like the famous saying because you could go run three miles and burn a few hundred calories, but if you eat one bad food you're gonna eat way more than you just burned 
Um, and especially, I mean, if you're very overweight, you can lose a lot of weight just by restricting calories without even well, going exactly, on a diet. exactly. Exercise, exercise is more a, a matter of keeping your metabolism active. And and people think that exercise, you know, you have this image of going to a gym and working your butt off and doing chin ups and push ups and this and that. A lot of times it's not even that. A lot of times it's just a basic you know, two, three hours a week. Like maybe you just go for a walk, a brisk walk or do something or maybe a little jog or something like 20 minutes every other day. Not even three hours a week. I mean, it depends what you do. I like HIT, the high intensity, intensity. interval training mm-hmm. because it doesn't take a lot of time. I mm-hmm. mean, you go hard for 20, 30 minutes and you are toasted. Now, it's intensity so you need it's to intense. get your cardiovascular rate or your metabolic rate at a certain level right your heart you do hit i mean i'll get to 200 beats per minute i mean you go hard mm-hmm. and it's 20 30 minutes of all out but then you're done and that's it and you can do it two three times a week and you'll get what you'll be in way better shape than someone who exercises every day and but kind of half-asses it you know well, that's why they the uh the sprints and everything else as far as right. running work better than running for like 20 and minutes you know i used to do that too i mean i used to go to the gym every single day for like an hour a day but i wasn't i didn't know this is like i didn't really know what i was doing and i wouldn't push myself and i wouldn't go hard and you know i'd be there for an hour and yeah i'd break a little sweat i'd be a little tired but Basically, I was I was not doing it right, and I think a lot of people don't do it right. And that and now I spend less than half the time exercising per week that I used to, but I work way harder and I see better results than I did back uh, then. And another key is more consistency. I mean, some people like, uh, oh my god, I go to a gym or doing this, or I had a pickup game with my friends and they kill themselves for three hours and then they don't work out again for another week. Yeah, uh, that's that's not the way it works. I mean, exercise just like the diet or nutrition is a lifestyle choice and then you need to be active and uh, I'm not here to tell people what to do or not to do but uh, when it comes to longevity that is the uh, the topic of this podcast it is obviously way proven and we don't have to even say anything about it that when you have an active lifestyle and you have more oxygen going to your blood and your blood is circulating through your system and it's cleansing and it's just basically revitalizing your your whole body and your whole um uh, you know, biological makeup, that's where it's going to make you uh, live longer. I mean, and it's proven people that exercise and, and even even after retirement, one of the things that happens when people retire officially at like 65, okay, I'm just going to, what happens is that they start aging twice as fast. And we've all seen it with family, friends, ancestors, whatever, you know, that they retire and all of a sudden they just get older much faster because they become sedentary. They stop the activity that they were doing before and then they just basically start consuming themselves and, and, and die. This is why I think retirement is a scam. Yeah, well, that's a whole different conversation. I agree. I mean, retirement is... Um, I think the, I think the reason retirement, everybody likes the idea. I mean, first of all, there's two types of work, right? Everybody, everybody has done work that they like. That doesn't mean you got paid for it. Everybody has hobbies, right? And they... Uh, most hobbies involve some form of work, whether your hobby is gardening or some type of sport or whatever, that's work, okay? But you enjoy it. And I think that retirement should be, instead of saying, I'm gonna work this job I hate for 50 years or whatever, 40 years, and then never work again, I think the better approach would be, I'm gonna work, and you don't even have to work a job you hate, but if you want to make more money, you can say, okay, I'm going to work this job that I don't like that much. And my retirement, I can retire earlier at 50 instead of 65. And at 50, I'm going to, instead of uh, 
working this job that I don't like, I'm going to take the pay cut and do something that I do like and say, okay, maybe I'll make, let's say you're making uh, 80000 a year and now I'm going to work for 40000 a year at this other job, but I love doing this job and it's not even like work for me. Yeah, I mean, that's a different. I, I think mean, that's the better approach. Retirement and all that is, is something that started back in the in the you know, uh, what was it post World War II or something? And uh, I mean, I get it. Obviously, you don't want to keep doing. The I thing mean, if you you're a, a person that has a very physical job and your body is right. totally beat down and stuff, then yeah, you look forward to kind but, of retiring for that job. That doesn't mean that mentally you retire. You may be to becoming a book writer or becoming right. a study well, or do something. What I mean something. is, if you're working a physical, if you're a construction worker for thirty right. years, right, then your retirement is getting a desk job, basically. And I'm not saying you have to work full time. Like if you just work part time at something you enjoy and it's not physically intensive. First of all, most people do work desk jobs these days. Now, that's the case where if you're a manual laborer, of course, you can't be 70 still in the coal mine. I mean, that's just not possible. But uh, for the average desk worker, you can just do things that you enjoy and maybe you make less. But that's why you save up. But instead of retiring and not working at all and saying, I'm done, have a job that you enjoy. That's what yeah, it's just the image that we have in society of, uh, oh, I'm retired and then I'm going to play with my grandchildren and sit down by the fireplace. And you have this image of the old couple in some kind of chair by the beach overlooking the ocean. Okay, yeah, that's very nice, the, but it gets bored after the two tr- days the sitting by the is, beach looking at the ocean. It's like, okay, now what? The truth is most retired people are bored out of their I, minds. They are. They Why are. do you think you have these retirement these communities, retirement communities with yeah. shuffleboard and bingo? And, yeah, I Because they're stuff. bored. And, and, and again, I mean, we're retiring. And, and add to that, to longevity, that's why we're going to get into the second part of the podcast about the consequences of living longer. But, I mean, you retire at 62, 65, 67, and you still have 20 years to live or 25 years to live. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you don't have that kind of human interaction. We are social animals, okay? We like to interact with people. And all of a sudden, you and find yourself- And we like challenges. Yeah, and we like the, the, the life purpose. So you, you find yourself retired, and you're missing the, the work discussions, those things that were pissing you off every day. All of a sudden, you're missing the, the interaction with clients, with other people, whatever. Yeah, I think it's, it, it's, it's fine for the first, maybe even a year. But then it's like, okay, then your mind starts- atrophying i mean it's just like you, you lose your your goals and then you start becoming like a little bit of a grumpy person and then all that attitude changes i, I i'm more into i mean i don't really look forward to retirement I, i'll retire when i die whatever that is. but uh the thing is i rather have more like mini retirement vacations you will throughout my life rather than lump sum 20 years at the end you know like yeah. I, i'd rather just say okay well i'm gonna take a week off whatever time of the year i want to you know, and then I'm going to travel this, I'm going to do that. Of course, I have the freedom to do that because of my situation, my job, whatever. But at the same time, it's like, no, I'm not going to work my ass off until I'm 65 and then say, okay, now I'm off for 25 years to do whatever I want. Because first of all, at 65, I cannot do things that I can do at 45 or 50 or 55. And secondly, I don't want to wait until the end because I don't know what's going to happen at the end. So I'd rather have mini retirements or mini vacations throughout right. my life and I, all the way until the end. I think... Like, I think the better approach, instead of saying, I'm going to work and then never work again, I think that's kind of crazy. I think the better approach is, okay, I'm doing this job because it pays well, and it's fine. I think most people get some enjoyment out of their job. I mean, most pe- a lot of people don't like their job, but it's not like you hate every second. There's Everybody has parts of their job. I don't care if you're doing your dream job. You still have parts of your job that you don't like doing. That's life. Yeah, well, you hate your job. What are you doing about it? 
Well, my point is, you if I, I get it. If you say, listen, this job pays me super well. I don't necessarily like it, but I'm just focused on saving up right now. That's totally fine. But save up and then say, but what I really want to do is be a novelist or whatever. Even even that's you know, it's hard to make money as a novelist. But even some job that. Uh, a marine biologist or something that you think is going to be hard to make a great living on, that's fine. Just work this job that you don't like, that you make a lot of money for a short period of time, and then save up your money and say, now I can do this job that I love and not have to worry about maximizing my income. That's really, why do people work jobs they don't like? It's only for money. There's a reason why companies that aren't great to work at offer big salaries, because no one would work there if they didn't offer mm-hmm. above market salaries. So so let's, since we're talking about this now, about retirement and all that stuff, let's just think about, okay, we, we discussed longevity uh, briefly. I mean, there's ways to that research and everything to recap quickly about increasing our lifespan or our healthy or a health span as far as how much longer we can live healthy with um, basically with biological hacking of our DNA and cells and everything else. And again, it's, it could be very technical, but there's ways to increase longevity. If you start treating um, aging as a disease, you can cure aging or at least delay it. But let's get a little bit into, let's say that we fast forward and then we are in a society where our lifespan is already 100, 120 years instead of 80, okay? So we've added, we're now in whatever year it is in the future, and we are all living 120 years normal. I mean, it was at, at the beginning of the century, we were living like 35, 40 years, okay? Not really. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's if you include child mortality. It's not like people we are dying exactly. at that's, 40. That's the average. We were living 45, 50 years. The, the, the lifespan was in that range. And of course, there was a lot of diseases and child mortality that increased or right. decreased the average. But most people lived in their 70s if they didn't die as a child. Basically. Right. Okay. Well, you can go back to last century or whatever you want to go back to. Um, um, our lifespan obviously has increased. So let's just first for, fast forward and think that uh, we're now averaging 120 years. Okay. And there's people that have lived already 115, 117, 122, I think is the record. Kind of pseudo official. They don't know if there was uh, this French lady that apparently lived that long. And then there's kind of uh, a little bit of a conspiracy or controversial thing thinking that. The daughter actually took the identity or something. I don't know. But anyways, there's people documented that have lived way into their hundreds. And let's say that society overall, the, uh, the new longevity or lifespan for people is about 120 years. So that changes a lot of things as far as how we live. So for one, we know the birth rate now is at the lowest it's ever been in civilized countries. I think in the U.S. we're still 2.1 or something. 2.2, I think. 2.1, 2.2, yeah. For every for every couple, we have uh, basically 2.1, 2.2 new 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 babies, basically, meaning that we survive the species. Population is still growing, not right. as fast as it used to be, but in it's still in growing. other countries, um, northern European countries, or even most European countries, I'll oh, say, a lot of countries, they are like a 1.8, 1.9, 1. 1.7. Oh, there's some that are like 1.5. Right. They're okay. Meaning that if a couple has one kid and the other couple has two, basically it's one point five average. Meaning that meaning you can expect the population to drop by twenty percent over the to, next to age, but over the next probably what thirty right. years. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, you have an aging population, which you add the anti-aging thing that now we're living again. We're in the future living one hundred and twenty years. What happens is the world just getting old because we don't have enough births, but we have a lot of older people. Yeah, but if you have that lifespan, I'm going to assume that people have a better health span too, they right? Do. 
Well, then people can work longer. And well, yeah, they can work longer, but that doesn't make them any younger. They're still basically a person that is 95 years old. Right, but if you're 95 functioning as if someone today functions at 65, that's a big difference. It is. No, I'm not talking about the quality lifestyle. I'm talking about the population aging. You are only adding 1.5 on one end, but everybody's living longer. Oh, yeah. No, we are, we are definitely... I mean, there's certain countries... They're going to have a demographic crisis. I mean, Japan is already going through this right now. Japan has a ton of older people, and their birth rate is super low. That's mm-hmm. why their economy has been stagnant for 30 years. Uh, and I think Europe's going to go through the same thing. The only countries that are really growing fast still are India and Africa. Even China has, because by government-imposed rules, I th- they, I, they got rid of that now, they, right? Yeah, they eliminated it, yeah. But, but they limited basically... The birth. The birth rate in China for a long time was really low. I mean, by law, it was only one family per. One, by one law, it was family. one in actuality because people cheated. It was, but it was still low. It was like one point three. I mean, mm-hmm. that is like really low, lowest in the world. Right. So, so if 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 so, one of the consequences is that we'll have an aging population as far as people walking around and you see. But it's only a problem if people retire. I think retirement is going to go away in the sense that we know it now, like we said, where well, you're just going to stop working. But I'm more thinking that... Because if you're 70 and you retire, what, you're going to live another 50 years? That's not going to well, work. Well, retirement obviously is another... Con- is, is obviously, the retirement will delay. But uh, on the uh, on this level, as far as having less births than we have aging people or dying people, for that matter, um, obviously, you have more... Uh, the average age of the population would be older. However... You can think also that now there's techniques that, especially women, are um, deciding to use techniques to delay um, having babies. Um, so they, they freeze their eggs and they do over all the things and, and IVF and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, just because they are in the, in the pinnacle of their careers and it's, it's not convenient for them, you know, to, to interrupt with, with um, becoming a mother. Which, But... At the same time, if you know or you think that you're going to live to 100 years, what makes you uh, not decide, decide to have a baby when you're 50? I don't know. I'm not a, I don't know the expert on, the, uh, on well, women's biology. I don't know how old you can be and still have a baby, even if you're using your eggs from when you were 30. Fertility, exactly. I don't, I don't know the science behind that. I know you can be like in your 40s. I don't know if you're like 60, if it still works. I have no idea. But right. But the other thing is obviously, like you mentioned, retirement age is is obviously uh, for one. You're relying on social security. Good luck getting any money because the government will not have any money for you to to pay for you uh, for 60 years or 50 years after you stop contributing, so to speak. So obviously, all the governments are right now delaying social security um, ages or retirement age little by little, 62 to 65, 67 and a half, 69, you know, and eventually, you know, it'll be adjusted accordingly. So, so there's enough people contributing. Mm, it's not enough. Well, yeah, I know. Okay. I don't want to get into the political discussion, whether social security would be bankrupt or whatever, but obviously th- that will increase, um, retirement accounts. I mean, people will have to start saving well, with me- much more. I mentioned to you, I said, I, I want to see, uh, because right now, like the famous thing is, oh, if you start investing when you're 20, and then by the time you're 65, because of compound interest, you have all this money. I said, yeah, well, I want to see how much money. Imagine if you invest when you're 20, and then how much money you have by the time you're 100 with compound interest. You would yes, have, that is you are on you the good side, but you're on the bad side. Filthy rich. Yeah, exactly. It's like the famous joke about what's your uh, retirement savings strategy. It's like, oh, my strategy has always been the same, just die early. 
okay, well, yeah, that's good. You know, <laughs> you don't have to worry about retirement money. But if you are trying to save for retirement and they have all these calculators thinking, okay, you're going to live until you're going to work until you're 67 and you're right. going to work until this. And that's that, why I said, I think putting all this money as we know it today will go away. I think it will have a different perspective on retirement because I think retirement is actually not that good of a thing. I don't think you want just a massive, by the way, people in their 60s and 70s are very valuable to the workforce. They have, oh, a, of course, they are. They have a ton of experience oh, yeah. and wisdom. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't think we should just be saying, "Oh no, you're done." They could add a ton to the workforce. Oh yeah, it's not it's not physical or chronological age it has nothing to do with the ability for a person to perform better or worse. I mean, you you can have a person that is. I mean, Warren still Buffett very is super his, bright. Isn't he exactly. ninety? Yeah, and, and even Charlie Munger is even older. Yeah. So, but you can have uh, people that are older chronologically but much younger um biologically as far as their thinking and brightness experience right and, and not else. just so, that just just i mean listen when you're 80 and you started working when you're 20 you have 60 years of experience there's right. not that many people with 60 years of experience that's very valuable and i just think that i think that the idea that you're going to be i mean if i mean first of all if people are living to 120 the retirement age is not going to be 70 okay because you're Obviously not going to not work for 50 years i just think that we sh i don't think retirement is a good thing in the sense that oh i'm never going to work again because one i mean you're killing the productivity of the country you could the country gdp wise could be much could be growing faster if more people worked and then two that's on the economic side but then two i just think people are generally happier and more fulfilled when they have something to work for. It's a purpose. Now, you right. don't have to work a job that you hate when you're older because you've saved up enough money that you can just work on what you want to work it on. It could be a work, a job, like a hobby type thing that doesn't even produce you any income, but it gets you busy and challenged and distracted all the time. Right. So it depends on your If you want to be a writer, situation. it's right. hard to make money, but at least you love it. Yeah, and you if you love make it, money, you great. And you if have you don't, discipline you don't. And you get up whenever and you write to at night, in the mornings, whenever. Whatever you do is just keeping you your your mind busy because the last thing you want to do is retire and get your basically your mindset of a retired person but another uh thing that i was thinking of is is obviously uh marriages um right now um no i mean uh, it's, it's true i mean divorce rates are very um very high in pretty much every civilized country in the u.s obviously we have a high divorce rates or separations and things like that um but obviously, you know, the, the famous till death do us apart. Yeah, that worked very well when death was 10 years after your marriage. You have kids, they work on a farm, and then you die and they continue, you know. 10 years? When was that? Oh, that was a long time ago, but it was it was the way it was. I mean, families were reproduced, and then... I mean, you get married... First of all, they used to have kids younger. They used to yes. have kids in their teens back right. then. But they lived to their still they lived to their sixties. No, 60s. no, I'm talking back in the 1800s. People would just die at 40, 45, 50. No, yeah, oh, yeah. And, um, I, I mean, it, maybe some, but people still. I mean, Benjamin Franklin died at like 75. Okay, well, you can, yeah. Okay, there's always exceptions, but, but, but keep in mind that medication, medicine was not developed back then. And when you had a pretty uh, semi-serious disease, chances are you were incapacitated or died. Even a high fever could kill you. So, but anyways, the the point is that marriages didn't most of the times marriages were dissolved due to death. There was no divorces because they will have the, they be married for 10, 15, 20 years, and then basically one of the spouses dies or whatever. Right now, um, there's many marriages that you know when people reach 55, 60 years old, they've been married for 25, 30 years, and uh, 
uh, there's the divorce rates is higher. There's many more options on social life okay. and everything uh, else. Do you know? I, I don't know if you know how. What's the difference? Because a lot of people, I think, I think the majority of divorces are probably within the first. Yeah, there's. Five to I 10 didn't years. look it up for this uh, for this particular podcast, but I do know that a lot of people get a, married. There's a high percentage within the first two years, and there's another, and then within the first seven years, I think by by then fifty percent. I'm still kind of guessing, but uh, yeah, the majority of of because a lot of people date for six months and get married and then realize, oh, I don't like this. right, and, and we see that happen all the time. How many people get divorced after they've been together like thirty years? It's probably pretty low. Yeah, after you pass a certain threshold, like 25 or something, then the divorce rate lowers quite a bit. At that point, people are more settled. But uh, still, sticking to the uh, to the longevity part, uh, people will normally have, the, the divorce rate will be maybe even the same, but then you have multiple partners, which makes me think, okay, well, that means that if you had two kids with the first marriage, and then you maybe have another kid or something with the second marriage, Depends how old you are. I mean, if you're yes. in your sixties when you get remarried, you're not having more kids. Yeah, it depends on you're sixty or you are fifty or forty or whatever. But the bottom line is that you will probably see more um, a more common place where people are just basically married, divorced, remarried. You know, multiple partners in their lives. If, even if it's no marriage, even if it's just having different partners. You know, uh, which will have its own implications, including the fact that families will not be uh, father or parents and children and maybe grandchildren, majority of families will even have like great-grandchildren. Like you're living to 120 years old, yeah. chances are oh, yeah. you will be meeting your grandchildren and having a Thanksgiving dinner that could be huge with <laughs> everybody there. So, I mean, that it's interesting because we, we, we think about these things, and but then when you start thinking about the consequences, and, and not to mention, I mean, will there be enough food in the world? We have so many people. If everybody's oh, yeah. living, yeah, obviously, yeah, we say, oh yeah, there's enough food. But really, I mean, if if all of a sudden you have like, if you if you you can't right now, how many people die? Let's say in the U.S. at age seventy-five or later, and you say, okay, let's assume that all these people are actually still alive for another twenty years, and then the people that turn seventy-five and the people that turn seventy-six and so forth, you add a lot of population to the country. And add I that to the world. I think we're less than 20 years away from solving hunger. Okay. I think that I think that ag tech, agriculture tech, is a very, very fast-growing industry. It is receiving a ton of investment. I just think that... Um, I think that people dying of starvation will no longer be a... a real problem within the next 20 years obviously it's not in the modern world the only place it happens still is in is in under underdeveloped countries but i think that within the next 20 years we will have technological solutions to feed everybody on earth no problem what about and or, cheaper what about overpopulation overall? i think that's not going to be a problem because i think population is going to shrink not grow oh really i mean if if uh if right now we are about 300 million people in the U.S. Yeah, or three, we have a ton of space. The U.S. is mostly empty. Well, I understand empty. the space, but everybody likes to live in the same places. I mean, right now we have a lot of immigration in the country. And those are people that are not aging. Imagine if, that, if the number of additional population due to the longevity part increases by, uh, let's say that one-third of the population is 
55, 60 or older. Well, that means that you potentially could have over 100 million people living in the, in the same country, in, in the US. Yeah. Where do you put those 100 million people? Where? Yeah, I mean. Anywhere. Yes, of course, huge. anywhere, but nobody wants to live in certain places. Everyone wants to live in the major cities, basically, like we're doing now. So if every city adds another 20% of population, I mean, it's just basically overpopulation. I mean, you start having a lot of growth. I mean, you, you build more. I mean, that's what well, cities I understand. do. You build I mean, more houses. The U.S. Expand. population in World War II was like, like uh, I don't want to give a wrong number, but it was like uh, hundred something million. I mean, we're more than double the population since then. Mm-hmm. I mean, the U.S. in the Civil War, which is about 150 years ago, was I think 70 million. And now we're 320. So, I mean, and we don't have a problem with overpopulation in the U.S. No, I understand. I'm not saying that it's going to be... If you tell me the population goes from 320 to 400, so we have an extra 80 million people, no problem. No problem? problem? Yeah, no problem. Because you you act like it's going to happen overnight. Yeah, okay, if you just dumped 80 million people in the U.S. right now... Okay, yeah, it would, we'd have to figure it out. But it's not like you just add it overnight. It's going to happen over 30, 40 years. You have well, plenty of time because yeah, like it grows some, organically. But that's, that's one of the things that it may happen faster than we think because if there is some kind of medical discovery that all of a sudden says, okay, well, people either start doing this or eradicate this disease or this or that. I mean, the reason why the, overall, the, the average lifespan increased is not so much because people are living longer. It's because you eliminated people that were dying early. In, including infant deaths. So when you do that is when you start seeing the increase in the lifespan because this is how the average is worked. So if you start, if there's a medical discovery that allows eradicate something or allows people to, you know, uh, by modifying their DNA, genomic, epigenomic. Uh, yeah, but guess what? If people all of a sudden uh, are going to live much longer, guess what older people can't get right now? Loans. When you're older, they don't give you a mortgage. They don't give you loans. I mean, because they, they, they're not going to give you a 30-year mortgage. You're going to die before it, you can pay it off. But guess what? If all of a sudden your lifespan increases by 40 years, uh, you have much more earnings potential. And now you can get what loans about, and you can finance these things. Okay. Well, let me there's going to be a demand. Basically. What about employment? What do you mean? I mean, if you have so many more people that are still working, will there be a lot of unemployment? Or will the employment still be the same? No. Will everybody be employed, basically? Not everybody. No, not everybody's ever employed, but I no, don't think... Well, unemployed. I mean, I'm just talking... I, mean, I don't think... Are you asking, will it be 20% unemployment? Absolutely not. Well, I mean, we're... Because you in, a different, in a different discussion, we, we talk about the the um, artificial intelligence and things like that, you know, replacing some of the workplace and all that, and some of the robots, of sudden, so to speak, it replacing employment. And if you add to that the fact that... That's... Well, okay, I understand. It's a different discussion, but... If you add to that the fact that people are going to be able to stay at the workplace 15, 20 years longer, right? So if you add, you have a, to have enough jobs for that. If you add 80 million people to the population, then that means that those 80 million people are just like the current 320 million. They have demand too. They want goods. They want services. They want homes. They want everything. So just like because there will be 80 million new people that have a demand for all the goods and services that the other 320 million people have, there there will be plenty of businesses and entrepreneurs that will gladly supply that demand. Supply and demand. That's how it works. And I think, yeah, you can add more people. And guess what? 
they those people will have demand and they will basically there will be entrepreneurs and businesses that will gladly supply it because they will make money that's how economics works Okay, all right, so let's let's kind of start wrapping it up. Um, we're reaching about an hour talking about this thing, and it's great. But uh, Supply um, and demand. The market's a beautiful thing. It I solves know. a lot of problems. People don't have faith in it. And there's, there, there's short-term pitfalls, but in the long run, I mean, just look at the last 200 years. We went from almost everybody being poor and working on farms to nobody fucking works on farms anymore. And oh, well, everybody's... There's a lot of people that work on farms, but there's a lot of, We went from 90 plus percent yeah, of course. on was, farms was, to now, I think it's like less the, than 2%. Uh, industrial revolution, not a lot. But, uh, but uh, right now, we're going through another major revolution too. And it's, it's great. I mean, it's a great time to be to be alive and to... I mean, this is fascinating to me. And, and I will keep reading about it. But, uh, um, but let me ask you, in your case... Um, you said in the beginning of the podcast that one of the things that terrifies you is the fact that you may in the future find some kind of or have some kind of disease or something and then hey, you're fucked you die or something and then the day after they find a cure. <laughs> Cryogenics. Yeah, okay. That's my answer. I haven't done it yet. It's very expensive, but... All right, explain to people what cryogenics is as far as the... Uh, uh, because, I mean, some people may think that it's the sports or the injury uh, treatment no, where cryogenics you freeze your body in the chamber. And it's then like cryogenics is like you see in sci-fi movies. And what they say Walt Disney did, I don't think he actually did, but basically you freeze your body. There's companies that do this. You can Google it. Search freeze body. There's one here in Scotland, by the way. Yeah, there is actually. They're one of the most popular in the yeah. country. Mm -hmm. Basically, all it is is you pay this company. It's kind of like a life insurance uh, where you pay them a monthly thing um, and then you leave them like a large sum of money after you die. And basically, they have a little pod. It looks like a pod in like a spaceship or something. And when you die, they throw your body in there and you're... Cool. Well, first of all... You're cryogenically preserved. Right. I mean, first of all, you, you need to have somebody in the family notify or somebody that is in your in your will or, or state plan or something. Uh, state planning, just planning that tell them to call them because they need to go and find your body in a certain condition uh, after a short time after you pass away. Basically. Right. If you die of a horrible accident, eh, yeah, it's probably not going to work. You but, if you, if you, but in most cases, like, okay, say, you know, God forbid I get cancer. And I'm going to die of cancer. Well, then I know ahead of time. And basically, they're on standby. So the second I die, they take my body, put it in a chamber. And then 50 years from now, when we've cured cancer, they take me out and give me the cure. That's the idea. So you come back in 50 years and you're like, where are my friends? Hey, I don't care. I can make new friends. <laughs> and this is the old That's not a problem. <laughs> That's not a problem. People say that all the time. Oh, you have no friends. I didn't have any friends when I was born either. You make friends. I'll make new ones. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that. All right. So that's your plan? That's my plan. <laughs> it's it's very expensive, so I need to save up for it. But Anything about uh, living healthy and all these things that we talked about? Yeah. What about? E I mean, e you 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 do some fasting, right? I do. I mean, intermittent fasting. I, I fast between breakfast and lunch and dinner. Yeah. About three four hours in between. Intermittent fasting. Eat less sugar. You'll be better than ninety five percent. Yeah, of the population. sugar is actually a killer. I mean, it's amazing how. It's one of the things that if you were to do just one thing, decrease sugar, the biggest thing, decrease your sugar intake. People don't realize this, and this is a whole other topic. I won't get into it, but you can Google it, and it's basically there's different types of sugar, but especially fructose. Basically, your body has no ability to process fructose. It's not glucose. Glucose is different. So when you hear high fructose corn syrup, when you hear uh, you eat fruit, unfortunately, people think fruit is very good for you it's all right fruit juices are not good for you but basically 
sugar and fructose especially is treated by your body the same way and this is unbelievable i didn't i mean i was shocked when i first read this and read the studies but it's treated in the same way as alcohol is the only difference is sugar fructose does not pass the blood-brain barrier meaning you don't get drunk from sugar but as far as it going into your liver right when people get liver disease it used to always be because you were a drunk and you drank a lot of alcohol and you get liver disease and now there's a thing called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease it's been developed and it's an epidemic now because lots of people eat sugar and they get liver disease and it's basically like when you you would never let your kid drink uh, your five-year-old kid drink a beer but you let them eat all the candy you want what you don't realize is well they're not getting drunk inside their body it's actually having the same effect mm-hmm. that's the crazy crazy and the amazing part. thing is that even when people try to cut sugar from their diets it's addicting it's very hard. well it's addictive for one but also it's it's very hidden in a lot of products oh yeah it's not like true. people think oh well i'm gonna just cut out uh drinking you know sodas and i used to have a big gulp in the morning or a coke in the afternoon or some kind of soda or this and that and and or maybe donuts at the office whatever but then you don't realize you go to the store and you grab any type of box of processed food and you look at the uh, nutritional content, every single piece of, uh, I like, mean, even if you buy a sauce or, or dressing for your salad or something, everything has sugar. Everything has sugar. The thing that kills me is like, I don't drink sodas, but sometimes I don't feel like having water, especially at restaurants, because a lot of times they just give you tap water and it doesn't mm-hmm. taste good. And so I'll get tea, but they only have sweet tea. And sweet tea has almost as much sugar as soda yeah. does. And, and the same thing with juices. I mean, you say, okay, I'm going to go and, and have an orange juice or this juice or that juice. And then you look at the amount of sugar that is in the orange juice and you think you're eating healthy. Yeah, it's healthy in one way, but it's not. It's I not. mean, you get some vitamins, but other than that, it's yeah, just exactly. sugar. But or even a box of, I don't know, like cereal, uh, vinaigrette dressing. I mean, things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at things that we have at home. And I am a, I'm a healthy eater for the most yeah, part. Yeah, dressings. Yeah. A lot of people have salads mm-hmm. and they think they're eating healthy, but then they cover it in dressing and you don't realize that that dressing has 15 grams of sugar in it and you just totally killed it's, the it's salad. It's incredible. It's incredible when you add up. Um, not only that, then they say the serving size is like one teaspoon. Okay, who the fuck uses one teaspoon of dressing? I mean, I use one teaspoon in one crouton and then I have 20 to go. You know, so so I mean, it's just, it's just crazy how... how the the uh, uh, you know as much as we try to have all this information about what we eat and all that stuff and all these clear mark labels and stuff they get away with all that shit because they don't tell you exactly what you're eating and they give you this unreasonable serving size like oh yeah I'm gonna have a teaspoon of uh, ranch dressing on my salad what is that I'm gonna pour the bottle there and just make it like a nice dressing so yeah watch out for that stuff is is really critical and and the good news is that with very few um, lifestyle changes you can make a huge difference and even if it's a little change that increases your biological age or lifespan not increasing the age but decreasing your age and increasing your lifespan by months years or something you will be so thankful as far as how you feel it's not so much about living longer or whatever yeah just your current how you feel it's just how you feel it's just how you feel in the morning the amount of energy you have um i don't get sugar crashes anymore i used to get that you know when you have Mm -hmm. something with a lot of sugar and then or even a ton of carbs and then later you kind of feel sleepy low energy right when you don't eat sugar and carbs you don't feel that it's a big difference mm-hmm. and it's something that you don't even realize until you you cut that out and i'm not saying it's like i still have sugar sometimes but my day-to-day week 
like especially during the work week, I have very little sugar. Um, only normally Saturdays are kind of like cheat days, and I don't go overboard. I'll have a. I prefer cheat meals than cheat days because a whole day is a lot. You can get a lot of bad stuff in one day, but you know if you have one little sweet treat once a week or something, it's not a big deal. But having sweets every single day is mm-hmm. it's not good. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this is enough for today. We promise next time we'll discuss some more marketing. I thought that was that was an interesting topic. I uh, I really like it. I'll, I'll add all the uh, show notes at the end of the um, of the podcast when it's live. Uh, remember, you can see all the information about this podcast at the actual podcast webpage, which is mgrunplugged.com. Or you can also go to mgrh.com where all the podcasts are listed. And then for each of them, we, we have a list of uh, show notes and books that we discuss. Uh, this particular one, there's a couple of books that I'd like to uh, mention that I will add to the show notes. One is the uh, uh, David Sinclair book, uh, Why We Age. And the other one is um, another one that I read uh, maybe about a month ago. It's called uh, Hacking Darwin. And... Uh, it's also a very good book, very, very um, good reading, a little less scientific and more practical, but um, both of them are very good. And then obviously uh, there's tons of other podcasts and authors out there that have written about the subject, but it's something that is very interesting if you are kind of somehow concerned or uh, working towards your healthy lifestyle. This is something that is easy to, uh, it's fairly easy to implement uh, with very little uh changes to your normal habits so anyways with all that said uh, we'll wrap it up now thank you david for uh joining me uh good luck with your next uh podcast um e-commerce edge i really like it and uh, for anybody else uh we'll talk soon thank you bye-bye